we can kind of talk about that a little bit because if you're any kind of familiar with racing, you know that the Wally is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I'm assuming since we're talking about this, you have one of those. How many do you have, Al? Last time we talked about this, I want to say 14. Has anybody ever asked you how big is your Wally? No. Well, I mean, as I didn't know, you you obviously said there are different sizes. <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. <laughs> hey, Val, how big is your Wally? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. All right, bro. Hey, Corey, guess what? We what? back, bro. Yeah, I like this little impromptu podcast we about to do. Yeah, so just so everybody listening at home, we got a little bit of a tornado brewing around here, which, man, we got enough bullshit going on with hurricanes yeah, right. and everything else in the South. We don't need tornadoes. That's like, that's not for us. Leave us alone. We, we've had enough. But this is like the second tornado that's been in the parish, and I don't know how long. We yeah, had my to- mom and dad's house got hit. A couple weeks ago. I was going to say it. It's not yeah. even a month ago. And now all of a sudden we got the tornado signs going off again that yeah. hit another area in the parish called Kelowna. Mm-hmm. Or Kelowna. Tornado touchdown. Ridiculousness. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. And I heard there were there was at least a death. I heard watching the news earlier, it's at least one, how did he phrase that? Possible fatality? Yeah. It was the parish good. president, so I think he has to say it that way. But yeah, there was a, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming there was a fatality. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, not to make light of any of that stuff, but Corey stopped by because he knew I was at home. Well, um, really, I didn't stop by because I missed you so much, but even though that's an interesting story, but I, I know you'd like to think that. But my daughter was here because they got out of school early, so I stopped over here from work to, to, to come pick her up, and we got out of work early, and um, just like, well, I got you know no reason to, to go home. Yeah, so of course you show up, and I'm like, hey, I'm watching a little soccer because the World Cup's on. I was thinking about drinking a beer. You show up. We crack open a beer. And then I'm thinking to myself, man, I feel like we could probably do a podcast right now. So, of course, I get on the phone, and I call the other person who's sitting in this room with us, Mr. Val Harmon. And I was like, get your ass over here, boy. We're about to do a podcast. So with all that being said, hey, Val, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. I was thinking how how blessed are we at Wednesday on to a you know on a Wednesday at three o'clock decided we're gonna do a podcast. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I mean, I finished my work early. I've been I kind of been working late all week, so it helps to compensate. I can kind of make my own schedule to to do all that stuff. So yeah, I was afforded a little bit extra. And I sent all my people home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and Val, you know. They they basically own the company, so they they make their own rules. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So we're here. We're in the podcast. Yes, we are still drinking beer at three o'clock in the afternoon, but it's four now. Oh, four o'clock. My bad. But the main reason that I wanted to have Val on is because Val has some very cool stories. Val and I grew up together. Uh, we went to same. We went to high school together. He's a little bit younger than us, but uh, through the years, Val has kind of had quite the interesting race car story for lack of better terms. He he races co- uh, cars in the quarter mile, has a few cars, or I, I could probably say had. We'll get into that after. But um, <laughs> uh, I just think it's very fascinating to see some of the accomplishments that you had. So uh, I just kind of wanted to tell the whole story and because I don't really know the whole story, to be honest with you. But I don't know any of the story. Yeah, so, I just know enough to know that he had race cars in some capacity 
because he had a picture on Facebook of standing around a race car and shit. It could have been the Avondale dirt track for all I know, which hadn't been there in 30 years. Yeah. But so I don't know anything about it other than we sell in a race car. Oh, okay. That's cool. I, and I never wanted to pry and like, Hey, give me your whole life story about racing or anything like that. But we're here. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So Val, let's, let's start off like this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the racing that you do or that you were doing and then we're going to kind of get into how you got started. But what explain so that we have a little bit extra context. What kind of racing was your specialty? What did y'all do? So the later part when we got to be kind of, <clears throat> let's call it major, like very interesting, was when we started chasing an NHRA circuit. And we had a car that was like basically class specific. So there's, it's been a while. It's been, it's like been a while. Years. So I think there's probably 11 different classes that we race on the NHRA circuit that are all, there's index racing, which you can build whatever car you want, how bad you want, the coolest, whatever, there's small limitations, but you can build whatever car you want, but you have to run an index. So there's a, there's three of those. There's a 1090, a 990 and an 890 class. So you can basically drive any car you want in the fast class. And then it starts limiting down, coming back to, so 1090 is called like a super street category. So you have to run 1090 and you have to have opening doors. That's about the limitation of it. And, and you got to, and, and I want you to kind of tell me this story as if I'm a dummy, because I'm kind of, I'm catching, so you got a bunch of that lingo going on and I'm catching a little I bit mean, of so this, but it's 1090 and a quarter mile. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. I should do yeah. all that. 10.9 seconds 10. and a quarter 9 mile. 10.9 seconds and a quarter yeah, mile. It's, it's remember, I watch a lot of racing, street car racing, you know, and stuff like that. Production cars, how fast can they go in there? 10.9 is fast right it is so what's well, relative for, though for, right it's, it's relative. fast for a so so that's like supercar production car yeah, territory agreed. right 10.9 mm-hmm. quarter mile is like lambo pretty damn fast 911 yes, gt agreed. yeah you know so that's your fastest production cars until you get into like two million dollar bugattis and stuff like that right. a little bit faster yeah. But for most supercars, ten point nine is pretty. Anything under eleven is fast. Yes. Yep. So and that's but, the slow category. Yeah, that's for what I was about to say. Oh, that, yeah. is, that is other than we can get into that in a minute. But other than well, if we start splitting up categories, but the the purpose built race cars, like if, if I roll my car out and you look at it and you open the door and the door is fiberglass and you look at it and you're like, this is not. I mean, it looks like a car, but it's a purpose built machine. There's a there's a a big, huge roll cage inside of this thing. Sure. And the tires underneath it are 15 inches wide in the yeah, back. And yeah, the yeah. front tires are three inches wide, and it's got a 600 cubic inch motor in it. It looks like a car from the outside, but it's a purpose-built machine. Yeah. So, yeah, in in retrospect, to c- compare those two, you're trying to compare a everyday driving car with air conditioning to yes. this fiberglass body thing that I have right. that looks like a car. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. A frame whole, and a shell with an engine in it. Whole right. other world. Right. So, um. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's the racing world. So yeah, ten point nine seconds is we're they call us the street sweepers. We were super street, but they call us the street sweepers. When something goes on with the track, if things go bad, they send us out there because we're the slowest people to clean the track up, put rubber back down, gotcha. and do the thing. So that's where we really started. I mean, to I guess kind of get some clout, kind of chase the whole thing. I mean, we we gonna get into the backstory. I would imagine here in a minute, but. That's when we started being very successful and started winning trophies and stuff like that. Um, let's do a little backstory now. Okay. So good. We grew, I grew up bracket weight racing. I think it was in 2000. A good friend of my dad's, Mr. Bart, came stopped by when we were building the Walmart. And he stopped by and he recognized me. He said, man, he said, 
y'all still race? Y'all do anything with racing? He said, your dad used to do it a bunch when he was younger. I said, no. I said, we haven't really done a whole lot. I said, I, I, we in the, I was in the golf at that point in my life, which obviously we're doing again. But uh, I, I didn't really, I wasn't even really interested in race cars. And he's like, man, y'all should come check us out. They just built a brand new track in Donaldsonville. You should come see it. I was like, okay. So I, I spitballed it with dad. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I, I missed that. Let's go see it. So we went and saw it. And, and Bart came, welcomed us into the pit. It was a whole family vibe. And I mean, we sat in the stands. And he's like, what are you doing? Y'all, we're back here. They got a nice chance of beer. And y'all could come watch us race and just come hang out and have a blast. And we went and did that. And we watched. And him and his son, Bart Jr., were racing. And they were, they were very successful at bracket racing, too. And uh, we got to watch him go up quite a few rounds and really close. Not He didn't win the race that night, but he got really close to it. And I was like, man, this is – like I can see the look on their face and see how – you know what I mean? Just I mean, we all know what competition is. Just to, that feeling. And I was like, man, this is really cool. And mm-hmm. We kind of went home and after that, and Dad and I kind of talked about it. And he's like, I don't know, man, if you, if you like it. I said, no, I love it. I think it's amazing. He said, I used to do it when I was younger. I mean, my dad did when he was younger. Him and my him and my uncle would load a, a set of slicks in the back of their Pontiac Le Mans and drive to Laplace and swap the tires and go race that night. And then, you know what I mean? That was it. Put the street tires back on and we're going home. Did you win? No, but we had a blast. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? That was, you ain't that winning was, a Pontiac Le Mans. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But uh, that's, I mean, that was what they did. And that, it's, it's it was infused in his blood. And as soon as we got an opportunity to go bracket racing, we did. And Bart started shopping and found us a car and, we went look at a car and he wasn't sure. And Bart's the kind of guy that can kind of put that elbow on you. He's like, well, if you're not buying this car, I am. I'm just telling you, I don't even need another car, but I'm buying this one. If you're not buying it. So we bought a car and it was a really cool. It was a 60, that one was a 65 Chevy two. It was another one. It was basically, it was a race car. It was a fiberglass hood, fiberglass fenders, fiberglass doors. It was a purpose-built race car. It was rusty brown primer. It was not, a, not, a, not a jewel to look at. Yeah, it doesn't need a look. No, it's, it's, it just needs to be all go. Right. You don't need to worry it. about the show. That's it. So we bought that car. It was, I think it was running. I think the first time that I made a full hit in it, it was running 1160s. For me, that was that was uh, wild. You uh-huh. know what I mean? To go. I mean, I, I drove a Nissan pickup driving up. I mean, growing up and <laughs> to get in something like that was an absolutely wild ride, and I was hooked. We so. From that point, we got the car, all the bugs out of the car, and we started bracket racing from with a, at the local track. And we would race every weekend, and it was basically index racing. But let me see, I can put the spin. So, so index racing, if I'm not mistaken, is kind of like where you're racing against the clock. Is that right? Yes, so you're not correct. Actually, correct. racing heads up like you would see on TV. No, because like- it kind of takes. So the easiest way for me to explain this is is if it was everywhere. So. It's, it's like the price is right. You have to no, get as close index, as you can without going the over. and raising, correct. Well, oh, under. But yeah. So the whole thing no. is if... It's, oh, yeah, without going under. Right. right. So right, right it's, yeah. the, it's the same thing, but... Yeah. So a 10.901 is good. Correct. 10.899 is bad. Right. So at that level, before we got it, that was... And I, I know I'm mixing stories because I'm getting into the NHRA stuff we did, which had an index. So this is bracket racing. So you have a car that runs consistently... 10 20. So you you get two practice runs, you run 10 20, 10 20, or whatever you run something close to that, and you write 10 20 and shoe polish on the window. Okay. So when you pull up your 10 20s, let's just say the guy next to you runs 820. You know, his car is really fast. So you get a two second head start. So in theory, I run 10 20, he runs 820. We should cross this finish line at the same time with a two second head start. 
Okay. And that's the way bracket racing works. Also with the spin, and if you go under your number, you lose. Okay, I got you. But I would imagine uh, there's a little bit of sandbagging possibly going on. Huh? Oh, then that's well, we <laughs> there's a lot of sandbagging. Okay, because and I'm, that bracket racing kind of reminds me of, of of a handicap in golf. Yes, exactly. And if you are holding back a little bit because you want your handicap to be a certain point, or if you you're holding back on your car because you want it to be. And you and you beat it. Now, what happens if you're at uh, eight twenty, and you race a uh, eight zero? Does that matter at all, or is just you get yeah, a two a, second head start, and whoever gets to the finish? no, no, no. At the, well, an eight second car versus an eight twenty car would be two tenths difference. So you literally be looking at the two. The slow car would leave two seconds. No, I'm, I'm talking about your your a little analogy first. You got an eight twenty car and a ten twenty car, mm-hmm. and you get the eight twenty car has to wait two seconds after the ten twenty car goes. Correct. But if that car happens to run a 8.0, his actual time doesn't matter. It's all about you get a delayed start and whoever gets to the finish first wins? No, not to the finish first. You can't go under. Oh, so you still can't go under same, in bracket racing. Same thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. I didn't realize that. So it's the way we used to race and the way I learned to race, we always hold. And uh, Cool Seminole is going to laugh when I, if he ever hears this, but it was always, he won't. always hold. We only got three listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it was always hold two. So if I, my car runs, let's just say all weekend, it's running 1025, 1025, 1025. So I almost feel like I need a chalkboard to draw this. If I'm running 1025 all weekend, I would put 1023 on the window. So that gives me two in the bank. I got you. But I know if I hold it down, I'm going, I'm going 10, 1020. I said that backwards. My car's running 1023 and I put 1025. I put two slower than what I would run. Okay. So if I hold it down, I'm going faster than what I have on the window. So that gives me a little bit of leeway if I miss the tree and if I'm a little bit late that I can get up there and make it look like I'm here, but I don't get behind. This is why I feel like I need a chalkboard. I was about to say, <laughs> but, because I'd imagine if you cut a good light and you're on a good pass, then you would go faster than what you have on your window. Well, you would. And then so like, you, what you're going to well, do, let off at the end? No, well, that's is, what I was going to well, Reaction time has nothing to do with your ET. Because it, it clocks you from when you cross the line. So, right, from when you leave. So the whole thing is, it, this, let's just put it in a drastic scenario. If the, the tree falls on my side and I'm fast car and I just sit there and don't move and his, his tree falls and he takes off, but it's my fault I didn't leave. But my timer, as far as ET, does not start until I cross the line. So I could I could run dead zero and run the perfect round, and the guy run beside me run five above, and because I was fifty on the tree, you get what I'm saying? Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. So, yeah. So reaction time has a lot to do with it, but it doesn't affect your ET. But you're racing against ET in a bracket. You're race. racing against reaction time combined with ET because if you have a shitty reaction time, you're not going to win. It's just not going to. Well, in a normal scenario, right? So, yeah. So we got into that a lot. And I got to learn the whole premise on holding and trying to make the fit. So the whole thing in bracket racing, you want to make the finish line as tight as possible. So if I like go back to the same thing I talked about, if I'm, I'm my car's been running 1023 all weekend and I put 1025 on the render, we're going to call, we're going to call it getting rid of two. I need to get rid of two because I'm wide open. I'm going 1023. I have to some point, Touch, but you'll touch. lose if you make that ten twenty three because you put ten twenty five on a because window. Because I'm above, so I got to get rid of. I got to. I got to slow down two hundreds at some point. So, in a perfect case scenario, when you're holding two, you want to because you, you theoretically you're going faster than your guy, right? So you're going to pull up on side of him, catch him. You're going to rip the gas pedal and just stay right in front of him and try to kill that two, 
just to go right in front of him. Oh, and then you, I got then you. Then you, that, that's, how, that's how you'd win. But things have changed. A whole bunch of technology is so ridiculous now. People don't even hardly hold anymore because <clears throat> cars are so deadly and people are so good on a tree that all of the play stuff is over. Yeah, and that's something that we can get into in a few minutes when you start getting into the other cars that you have and when you got into the index racing. Because one, I saw a video a long time ago you had posted that made me laugh because it was the first time I had seen this. You have some sort of delay box in your car where, um, and you, I don't know the whole rules, but I'm going to tell you what the video told me. You pulled up, y'all both staged, and if anybody knows about racing, you know, you, you're, you're basically kind of getting to the starting line at the same time as the other car, and then there's like little yellow lights, and then there's a green light for you to go, Correct. right? When that green light hit and y'all both left, your car went, wah, wah, and it like, almost like it had stalled out. Mm-hmm which was actually I found out intentional because as soon as that little stall finished, it just went right right back to wide open. Rah! I mean, it was bananas. And I was like, what just happened? Why would you do that? Yeah, and kind of find out that was completely intentional. Yes. You have some type of computer that, pro- that times mm-hmm. all the stuff coming in and moving and shaking and sliding so that you can get to the end at exactly... Whatever your right. time Whatever is. You're, That's it, it, fucking it, cheating, Corey. Come on, bro. <laughs> but, so, <laughs> That's exactly what a, I thought, You might too. as well take Val out of the car and just put a robot in there. So, just drive a remote control. Let me get a, let me give a little bit more backstory. So in these bracket racing days, I tell you, when we, we were racing at the local track, and we write the number on the window, and we race for, I don't know, $750 on a Saturday night. And we go race for that, and, and we do whatever. So once a year, this big NHRA race comes to town, and all of these – what I ended up going racing comes to town. These guys got these big, beautiful rigs, these big, badass race cars. There's there's motors that make noises I've never heard in my life. Like even from, like I said, if we get into all the classes, there's guys that they have a comp class, which is a a cubic inch over overweight ratio on what you should run, and that's a heads up back to the heads up thing. Like we t- like old school drag racing first. Of the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these guys would literally take a Hemi motor and cut it in half. And have a four-cylinder Hemi motor tilted on its side, but they built their own fabricated intake because they can make more power power out of a Hemi, but they only use four cylinders, so their CCs are small. And it, it, I'm telling you, this is there's a whole other world of this. So that's the kind of stuff I saw as being in my 20s, and they would come to town with all this crazy stuff, and I'm just kind of looking around like, man, this is wild. You know, we would just go as spectators at that point. And Dad's like, man, I think you could run that that 1090 class. He said our car runs 1020s. He said we just got to slow it down. You know what I mean? We can do this. Okay. So we go out there on Wednesday night. We go practice. We get it kind of close. We put in barbells and shit in the back of the <laughs> car trying to slow it down. You know what I mean? And then uh, we got to- get an extra, extra value meal at Taco Bell. <laughs> right. <laughs> put a fat so, girl in the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we got to, it really got to a point where we couldn't slow the car down enough. We killed the back two barrels on the car. So it was of a four barrel carburetor. We only had two barrels and it still was too fast. So we went for, after watching what you just explained, we went to go into the eighth mile and then count chickens, one chicken, two chicken up the gas, and then mash it again. Nonetheless, these dudes with timers and delay boxes. We didn't really hold the candle to that. They're like, these hey, Val, computers and what kind of delay box you got in your car, bro? <laughs> no, bro, I'm just one chicken, two chicken. <laughs> so we did that for a couple of years, and then Dad kind of got the red ass, and he's like, man, I'm going to go find a car. And he kept riding around, riding around, and 
he ended up finding the Chevy too that we still own today. And the first year you offered the guy a bunch of money and the guy's like, man, I can't sell it. It's a family car. It's just been there, whatever. And then the second year he came around, we were still spectating. And he came and he said, man, come look at this car. He said, I know, I told you about it, but you didn't see it last time. He said, let's go look at it. We would look at it and offered the guy the money and the, uh, the grandma, the, 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 the sons drove the car, the mother, I think she was kind of the beneficiary, not beneficiary, the, the one that she was, was the queen. She bee. was the queen. And she just kind of looked at grandpa and said, sell him this car. Y'all are all scared of it anyway. Just sell him the car. And dad said, stroke the check. Yep, here's your and money. There it is. And we took it home. So at that point, I had all this technology underneath my belt. And then I drove a car that's, as Eric just explained, with the timer and the kill and all that stuff. That car wide open went 840s at Memphis when we had a, we had a really good track and it, I mean, it was capable. So picture the fact that I took that car in from eight forties and slowed it down to 1090. Yep. So, so you could have run eight ninety nine ninety ten ninety whatever I could want. have. So then this is what, this is what, what takes it. Does it get more competitive? The higher you, the faster you go. So the biggest thing with indexing and did we explain enough indexing raising? You may do that. Well, no, we kind of got on a bracket. So while we're here so before we're so uh, losing the, the rest of the audience, let's just explain the difference between bracket and indexing. And let's talk about indexing. Cause so index bracket racing is your, you built this car, you put it together. It's got this motor, this transmission, this rear and gear. Okay, great. That's fabulous. And it doesn't matter what it runs. If it runs 1120, it runs 1120. That's great. You write that number on the window. And if your car consist, consistently run 1120, it could run 1520. I've seen guys run win bracket races at the track that has a 19 second geo Metro. If it's dead nuts every round, it doesn't matter how, I mean, the whole fast thing is the ego, right? It's right. like, Oh my God, the fastest car here. Well, that's great. You lost first round. Good for you. Yeah. You know, know what I mean? It doesn't. So you got beat by a 19 second geo Metro, <laughs> right. so which by the, the way, can a geo Metro actually run 19? That seems awfully fast for a geo Metro. I, I, I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> so snacks was the one that did, that y'all all know snacks wait snacks snacks that plays golf with us who are you talking about double glove snacks what who are you talking jonathan about? robin i'm lost I still don't know who you're talking about anyway he's played golf with us before he's played with me on wednesday nights anyway i know him from racing he was into bracket racing big i think he was getting his car worked on he picked up this geo metro for like 500 bucks and he would leave it at the track and it would be sitting parked in a corner somewhere. He'd go over there with jumper cables, fire the thing up, and then bracket race it. And he's I think he actually might have won a couple of races in it. That's fantastic. So, I thought y'all knew Jonathan Robinson. So is it if you say so. your car is gonna run fifteen seconds, you go so many passes, and is it the closer to fifteen seconds you add all that up and So bracket racing is basically your combination of reaction time and your margin between what you Put on the window, and, and then you add those rain. margins up, and that's, whoever's that's got the lowest margin that's wins. It. And without the only, the going only, faster, right? And that's that's just like Eric said. That's the only thing that would bounce that out would be is if you go under your number. Yeah. Okay. So basically, so it's, do you it's, get penalized if you go under your number? No, you just lose. You just you lose. lose. You pack okay. your shit up and go home. So if you say you're gonna run 15 and you run 14.99, you're done. As long as your guy doesn't run 14 or that much more less than you did. There's okay. also a thing called a double breakout, which is obviously possible. So okay, yeah. And to make it easy scenario, both of us dial 15 seconds flat. I go 14.99. You go 14.97. I win. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Lose because you went further, you went faster, 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 faster than I did. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So then. All right. So. Back to index racing now that we've got bracket done. So bracket racing is... And, and before you go on, is it almost... It, it's kind of like... I'm, I'm assuming it's almost like a graduation. Like you go from 
um, bracket racing and you kind of graduate into indexing as if maybe that's like a harder thing? Like what's, what's the deal? So it's, yeah, I mean, it's more elite because once you get into the index racing, you're going to have to chase the circuit because they don't do that everywhere. You'd have to follow NHRA like we did for, I don't know, eight years. And there's going to be a race like the race that would come to us in Donaldsonville. And then next week, and not next week, and next month it's in Dallas. And the weekend after that, it's in Noble, Oklahoma. Then we're going to Atlanta. Then we're going, you know what I mean? It's yeah. to keep up with it. It's just a different circuit. So to follow that, yeah, it's a big deal. You had to, you got to keep up with chasing it all. We're not going to no problem. Donaldsonville every Friday night to run this thing. You have to go. Okay. So yeah, it's more elite in your, or you kind of in the, in the, sportsman version of what you see on Sundays occasionally, the pros. So if on Sundays they don't show us because we're the filler. But if you watch Sundays on uh, on the NHRA races, the sportsmen are the guys that are running in between. A lot of times they'll show our finals, but they're not keeping up with us like they're watching pro stock and top right. field and all that other stuff. So that's kind of the more of the league you've moved to when you start chasing that. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of those guys, top fuel and all those big dogs, they not do. There's no in, there's no kind of index or anything. It's just a heads up, green no, light. Everything. Go. I'm trying to make sure that I'm saying this correctly before I say it. Everything on the pro level is first to the finish line. Yep, heads up, let's go fastest. Right. To, to win fastest to the um, finish line. Right. Wins. Because you have top fuel, which is absolutely no holds bar. And they still have not found a dyno that can harness that amount of horsepower. I want to say it's like in the 13,000 range. Yeah. Ridiculousness. So those guys are doing the quarter mile in like what? Three seconds. They've uh, actually at 300 miles an hour. So while I was racing, when we were heavy into it, they pulled them back. They were going a quarter mile. And the top few guys in like high to mid three seconds at 300 plus mile an hour. Mm-hmm. And in NHRA, obviously, they got to protect themselves. So in, in, for insurance reasons, all the, all the, the crashes and the bad shit was happening between the 1,000-foot mark and the 1,320-foot mark, which is 1,320 is a quarter, 1,000 is 320 foot before that. So they pulled them back to 1,000 foot. So everybody, <laughs> typical gearhead racing guys all they did was start turning gears harder and do everything else and they're still making 300 mile an hour at the thousand foot points of course so, of course yeah so i remember a long time ago because i used to be real big into racing too and i remember a long time ago when they were like you know getting over the 300 mile mark 300 mile an hour mark in the quarter mile they had some rules put in place or they had some kind of things that they were some restrictions that they were putting on them because they were out doing the technology of the tires like they were going so fast but the tires couldn't the tire the tire technology couldn't keep up so they had to cut them back or something i mean yeah it, it i couldn't even imagine going 300 miles an hour let alone doing that in three seconds uh it, it's just absolutely preposterous so if you've ever yeah. been to a race which i mean granted i've been blessed with the fact that my my parents let me do all that and sit in the stands and watch the top few car go by it legitimately, and I'm sitting in the stands. I'm not on the starting line. I'm not up against the fence. I'm sitting in the stands. It legitimately rattles the eyeballs in your head. Yep, that's like you what get I've heard. Where things get blurry, and you just kind of got to bring yourself. It's 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 absolutely, it's wild. So if you sit, a lot of times we used to go watch Top Fuel and watch the fast guys. We used to sit down at the end of the track because I want to see all. I want to see all the mile an hour. I mean, the starting line is the starting line. These cars would probably be 150 to 300 feet before you ever heard them. They're legitimately coming faster than the, the speed of sound. Uh-huh. They're just all the way, and you're watching them leaving, and all of a sudden, whoa, there they are. And it's 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 nuts. It really is. I, I think it's I think it's the other than 
probably some spacecraft, the fastest shit on the planet. Yeah, absolutely insane. So back to the index racing, you guys graduate from doing the bracket. You convince uh, the queen bee mama to sell y'all the car. car. And now y'all getting into index racing. So what kind of a learning curve was that for you? Uh, because now all of a sudden you're going from getting dialed in at 1090s or, or no, the 1090s was the index, right? right. So you're getting right. dialed in at the bracket racing, but now all of a sudden you've got this eight second car that you're trying to dial in at 1090s. Like, how does that work? So the separation between that is my car and race cars are uh, race cars on gasoline are hugely affected by the weather. So if it's if, if we wake up the next morning and humidity dropped ten points and the temperature's down fifteen, it, it's a whole nother car. No matter we, either index racing or bracket racing. So luckily, or hopefully, you get a, a one time trial to try to figure out where your car is. A lot of we'll get into that. So just to let you know that that's what's happening. So when you go to index racing, I have an index. No matter what car I build, how, whatever how fast, like we talked about earlier, the car was the car is well faster than what it can travel. You have to make the car run that. So delay box timer, there's things going on in the car that you can adjust to slow it down even more or speed it up even more if it's done, whatever. So I opposite when it comes to ET. So originally in the bracket car, my car would change. Well, I'd wipe my elbow on the window and change the number on the window. Well, in an index car, I have to try to make the car go back to where it's supposed to run. It's right. got to run 1090. No right. matter, I, just because it's cold today, okay, guys, you can run 1085. They're not going to help. This that is, doesn't happen. So what do you do? Do you physically make a change to do that? Do you change something on the car? Do you delay your start? Do you slow down at the end? What, no, what do you he do? He puts one of his extra uh, old ex-fat girlfriends <laughs> in the backseat. Well, you got to hide. Give her a, so, give her a large daiquiri yeah, and hey, throw hey, her put, in the back. Put your seatbelt on, girl. Get some Taco Bell. <laughs> no, is that not it? Not, no, oh, okay. no, not so much. Because that'd be a so, cool story. <laughs> okay, we apologize. No, go I'm ahead. Good. Carry I'm on. Good. So there's a, like Eric talked about earlier, there's a delay box timer in your car. So, so, so that's what you rely on. You're that's like, what okay. you're using as your. So you have like factor. some practice runs first. So when you get, so that's the difference about NHRA. So bracket racing, everything is daily. So I pull up to a bracket race and we're having a lot of times if you, y'all don't see that, but I still see it through my feed. They'll have three races in a weekend because there's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday race. Mm -hmm. So you wake up that morning, you're going to go get two time trials to go see how your car's doing. Okay. All right. Mentally notes, take your notes down, fill out your logbook. My car's going. So that's when you discover, oh, my car's going too fast. I got to put a delay on it. So, well, no, well, that's in bracket racing. So the the challenge with NHRA racing is when we show up on Thursday, we're going to get three. Just practice day is all you're doing. Okay. So Friday, most of the time. The pros roll in, kind of do your thing. They'll normally, normally get us like one more before we race on Saturday. You get one time trial, so you're still trying to log your data. So when you sit down with a logbook, you're going to flip it open. You're going to put a, a timing ticket. It's going to give you uh, your reaction time, your 60 foot, your 330, your eighth mile, the whole thing. So you can look at your increments and where the car's doing. Well, you hope you're as consistent on those three as possible. Right, no, agree. So, so you agree. know what to so do, right? That's what you want to try to stick with. So you can see if you have My a, reaction times the same on all three of these runs. Yeah, good luck you with know, that. That's, well. Well, I'd have to bring a start tree over here one day and hold it right here and let y'all let Let's, you keep, let keep, trying, to, keep yeah. trying to be consistent. Yeah. That's probably the biggest challenge is if you watch, we I, I, we are on tangents. I have not stuck to okay. a story yet. That's okay. That's what that's part of the fun of this podcast. So, so carry on. So the hardest thing to do in reaction time is the tree lights you let go. Sounds super simple, but you try to do that. 
So guys that are really good at bracket raising, which I've watched over time, and they'll literally leave you with your mouth open. If I, if I come put the tree in here and you and I try like five times just to hit it, you watch these guys be double O. That's the term. I'm going to explain it. Which is so, like zero reaction time. So reaction, reaction time is measured in seconds. So when the tree lights through your brain, most of the time it's through a button because you got the car decked and the trans brake is down. You let go of the button yeah. and the car goes. So you got the light lights. It goes through your brain. It goes travels all the way through your elbow into your wrist. You, you pull the button loose through the, trans, through the transmission into the drive shaft, and then the car reacts through the tires that bend and all this, and then got it to go forward. So you can't wait for all that. You have to anticipate. Well, that's back to the delay box. I can change the timer in that thing to make it as fast or as slow as I want. The only issue you get is if you have like a normal street car and you try to do that, it's not gonna like, it's not gonna motivate as fast as a, a race car right, does. Right, right. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the whole thing. You and for me, if you and I both had a car and you come got in my car and you're like, all right, that's that's cool. I'm, well, I normally put this in there, and then you let it go and like, oh well, that's different. What do you got? What's going on with your car? Like, no, yours is just different from mine. I'm running a big tire. You're running a small tire. My car has a four link. Yours has a ladder bar. It's all, it's all relevant to the situation. So. Back to what I'm saying is with the time trials, you go do all that. And every time you go to a different track, there is stipulations on how far the beams can be because you roll into both of them. So there's a, I can't draw this on the podcast. There's a short beam and there's a long beam. So you roll into one beam. If you ever watch racing, there's two lights you light before you start. There's a top bulb and a bottom bulb. And then once both of y'all light both of those, then the whole tree falls. So Top bulb is the first beam. You roll into the second bulb. Okay, now you got all the bulbs lit. But when you turn the second bulb off, the, the first bulb, the one in the back, when you turn that bulb off is when your timer starts for your ET. I'll let, did, 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 I do okay. a job, did I do a good job describing that? Yeah. <laughs> like I told I you, if I, if I had a chalkboard, I would be a whole lot better. And that's the way I was taught. So, <sighs> tangent again. Anyway, those are all factors having to do with the reaction time and everything else having to go back in the index racing as well as bracket racing. So when we run 1090 is when you set up your car, your car has to run that when you go there. So like I said, you get three practice, tr practice runs on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you wake up that morning, you're racing. You don't get a practice run on Saturday. Right. So the biggest thing that used to do it for us was you wake up Saturday morning and we've had a 30 degree swing in humidity and a, a 20 degree change in temperature. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your car is yeah. going to go quite a bit faster. Yeah. But so is everybody else's. Right. So it's kind of a, we have actually have a weather station in, in the, that sticks up above the trailer that monitors all this stuff. And there are some factors that we've used. And that's the whole reason you fill out your logbook to figure out, okay, this much humidity changes my car this much. This much temperature changes my car this much. And then there's a calculated factor, which is considered density altitude, which takes all of those factors and gives you a altitude it, density altitude what it is and it's measured in feet so obviously the, the perfect air would be zero actually it gets better than that it's been negative places we've been and then a day like today humidity outside is probably three thousand feet it's absolutely disgusting outside yeah. your car would be as slow as possible so all of those things come into effect back to the point that you have to break make you still despite all of those things have to make your car run the index mm -hmm. so all of that changes everything so yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's basically like just a tuner's game. Yes, uh, you know, agree. They, yeah, you got to take all of those factors into consideration, and you have to adjust your car 
to mitigate all those factors to still make it go as close to 1090 as you can. And you still have to cut a reaction time and you still have to judge the other guy going on a track. Yeah. Yep. Lots of skill involved. So you were actually pretty successful in your career. Maybe not so much in the beginning to start off with, but at the end you were traveling a lot. You were winning some pretty big time trophies. Um, and I know you, Look, th- this is for the story's sake, so it's not really just like a, hey, look at me, I'm Val, look what I did. But can you tell us a little bit about a little humble brag? Tell us about some of your accolades, some of the things you did. I know you were chasing a circuit for a while. Um, so kind of tell us a little bit about that because you've won some pretty amazing trophies. Yeah, so it started, actually, you said we actually started off really well. So we started chasing this circuit. My mom and dad both got excited, like, let's go. We bought this big trailer, and the car goes in the back, and we lived in the front. And we started chasing these things because we had a, a little RV that we parked at the track, which was not capable of driving these distances. So we bought that. We started chasing it, and uh, we were just enjoying the shit out of it. I'm not going to lie. We, uh, I, I didn't win any races, but we got really close in a couple, and we just had that initiative to go back and let's try to do it again. So we kept chasing them all down. So we get probably about 80% through the year of the, the season, and I have a couple of people walk up to me and say, man, you know you're leading in points? And I'm, what points? He's like, no, you're leading in the points. I was like, I didn't know they had points. I thought <laughs> we yeah, just came, came just here to try out to, here. I thought we just came here to try to win every weekend. Yeah, every He's time like, no. there's said, a race, I just show up and race. It's yeah. cool, man. I love it. No, and and I was I, <laughs> no, so bro. I'm kind of and I wish the dude never would have never told me they that because I think it, it put it put like yeah. this, this monkey on my back and I'm like, wait, so because you're just you're just going from race to race and it's a new day, right? It's every a time. new day. Let's go no try to win this one. So that's the way it was, and we and that's. I don't know. I guess the internet was a little slower in like 2002 and I wasn't really chasing it. Yeah, it was like, like dial up. <laughs> so, so we weren't really chasing it. I didn't really, I didn't comprehend it all. We were just going, having fun with barbecue and race and then just enjoy the shit out of ourselves. And then when I found that out, it all got real. That's bad because, you know, all of a sudden now it don't become, it becomes, to me, I would think it's less fun well, shit, I, I better not drink this beer or, or eat this barbecue. Or it just, to me, now it's more, that makes it more like a job. Like, oh, it shit. Did. It made it uh, extremely more stressful. And we ended up losing the first year that I ever chased the circuit by one point, second place. Ouch. So, nonetheless, that we were bit. That, like, that's yeah, just I was going to say, like, that's got a lot of fire yeah, under your butt, that, though. That, that was it. We were, we were bit. And then I want to say we went like the next three years being in the top five, which was it's still a feat. You know what I mean? Things were really good. And then as we traveled more and more, we started venturing out further. We started going like as far as Bowling Green and just to other races. Because you can race not only in your division, you can race, you can claim two out of division, which Bowling Green is outside of our division. And then Atlanta was outside of our division when we started traveling that way too. So, we started getting into it more and the more we traveled, the more my dad kept looking at more cars. Cause you can drive two cars at an event. You can't no more than two, but you can drive two. So he got really excited about super stock. Cause that's kind of close to what he used to race when he used to go stock racing. So we got into this thing, which is a whole nother animal. And it's, let's keep it simple. It's a, a lettered index class. So you got a through Z. So if you got a Hemi Barracuda, you probably have an a car. And I don't quote me on this because I don't know exactly. Or if you had a big block Camaro, that would be an A car. So we ended up buying what was considered a conversion car, which is a Cavalier. And it had a 69 Camaro combination in it, which was the original carburetor. Granted, it had head work and camshaft and all this other stuff done to it. And 
I think that was it. That was the only restrictions. And then you had to weigh a certain weight based on the horsepower. So if it, it's a combination of both. So if, if I'm, you're an A car and you're, you're big block Camaro and I pull up with my Cavalier, granted, I can't run with you. There's no, it's impossible. It's just not going to happen. So that was back to a bracket race. He'd write a win, number on the window. I'd write a number on the window. So then as the ladder falls, if I'm a, I'm a F car and I get another F car. Now we're doing like the full on heads up first person at the finish line racing because we both considered the same class. Right. And that had my dad lit. He was so excited for that. And that, the Cummins brothers, the whole Cummins family, they, they've been doing that their whole life. And they just kind of swooped in there and like, okay, you have a heads up this round. I'm like, I know. It's like, why are you just sitting here? It's like, why are you not icing the intake? Why didn't you change the oil to a lighter oil and doing this, putting transmission fluid in the rear end? Why are you not doing all this stuff? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so it all became, and these dudes had so many tricks and it's, so minuscule for you to say street racing and do the things we did. It's not enough difference, but super stock racing is so close. Like three hundreds is huge in super stock. Three hundreds on the street is me from me to the wall. That's right there. It's nothing. But in super stock racing, three hundreds is huge. So these dudes would, they had so many tricks. They used to crack me up. He would take a can of Sterno and scoop it out with his hand and smear it underneath the hood and then smack a big old wob in the carburetor right before I took off to go do my burnout. And I'm like, that, that can't be good. And he's in the one. He said, dude, it's good. I promise you. So their whole thing with that is that the, if you, Sterno has a, is mostly alcohol. So when it, the air passes across the alcohol, it does is make it colder and heavy cold. And it made a difference. Almost turned the car over backwards for that one, from what I remember <laughs> that time. But yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many crazy things to it. And then after the Superstock car, we started getting into these roadsters. Now, I if you're not in the NHRA, you have to Google what a roaster is. It looks like a car that somebody cut the top off of, and it's just got the the old school little Cobra Jet roll cage over it. You know what I mean? Remember the Cobra Jets from the '60s? The guy just had that one little bar sticking over the head. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I had a '69 Camaro like that, and still to this day, we sold it. I, it still, if, as long as it's been since I've been in it, it would probably still scare the shit out of me. It went 990 at 172 mile an hour. Granted, it's no contention to us 300-mile-an-hour cars, but for me to be in the open air the first time I ever made a hit in that thing was absolutely yeah. scary. Yeah, without a, roof, without a roof and you're going 170. So that one, yeah, I, I, I that, that car, the Superstock car was a, basically, a, a, as my mom would call it, a headache because it was so turned, the screws were turned so tight, it was it was hard. It was it was hard on parts. And that one, we got a couple wins out of it, but she she had enough of that. And so he ended up buying the super gas car, and we had quite a few wins in it. We won the first year we owned it in Bowling Green, and then we went to Houston and won two years in a row. And back to the index thing, the super gas car is a 990. So it's the same thing as the 1090 car, which I was extremely familiar with. We just moving up one class to do the same mm -hmm. thing we were doing before, and we did that. But the, the biggest feat, as Eric started this conversation and asked me, and I went off on a ridiculous tangent again, That's okay. is uh, my biggest win was uh, Chicago. Chicago was a national event and it's a place Chicago every year is considered the all-stars. And if you play T-ball, you know what the all-stars are and everybody, the greatest out of every division all over the country, there's seven divisions, West coast, North central, South central, and then two Midwest and then the East Northeast Northwest. Everybody would come to Chicago for this race. So the best of the best guys were there. And at that point I got to consider myself one of those people because I got invited and we won the whole thing. And that was by far 
the greatest feat that I've ever done in my life to be at the best of the best and, and pull it off and race some of the best guys to get there. You know what I mean? Guys that like, like pull up and like, that's, is that Phil Smyter? Damn, am I running? Him? Oh, man. You know what I mean? It was just kind of that feeling like, but we pulled it off and I and did. What car were you driving in that race? That's the 1090 car. The okay. Chevy two. That was, that was my baby. I really feel like I could, that car goes 154 mile an hour and I feel like I could eat a sandwich in it. Like that's that me and that, not because it's whatever it's because me and that car gelled. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just that I can get in and crank it up and go do a burnout on the street for you and tell you, this is what it's going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just, that's car I've been driving. I think we bought that car in 07, 08. That's how long we've been having it. Like, it's just, I'm just that familiar with that familiar with that car. I can tell you what it's going to do at any point. Yep. And that's, after Chicago, we did a bunch of, we got heavier in the super gas racing and we won a couple more races in super gas. But as far as I got it hanging up on my thing, I told you that I came out second the first year. It took me all the way until 2018. We won the whole division in super street. We finally won. I told you it was one point shot at one year and we won the whole thing and had a banquet and all that other stuff. It was really cool stuff. Very cool, man. Very cool. So, and then y'all aren't doing it anymore. No, things came up in life. These kids uh, are getting older and, and soccer is, yeah. as Eric can probably tell you, which he does a yeah, lot you more you got other priorities as right. you grow and I, older. And I, did, and, and, and I can blame myself for that earlier. Racing was a priority and I missed out on a lot of stuff in my former life on things that they were doing. And I guess it, it took me to, to take a step back and look at that and realize we can go racing at any point. I mean, they had guys that raced against me that were in their 60s. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. Once you know what you're doing, you sit in the car, let the button go and go down the track. You always bring your nephew or your grandson with you to work on shit, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and technology is going to change between now and yeah. another 10 years from now, too. Yeah, you and know, I won't be, be ready for that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, it's just like a lot of other things, man. If you're going to do something like that and you want to be successful, it's going to take a hell of a commitment to do it uh, yeah. because – um, if if you're not doing it, somebody else is, and those other guys that are doing it when you're not are the ones that are going to be super successful. So no, you got to put the work in. You got to put the work in. So I get it, and it it takes a lot, especially if you're going to be traveling a lot. But you know, it is what it that is. That was the biggest thing. Like I said, missing them in their earlier days with gymnastics and soccer and all the other stuff. I mean, we'd have to leave on Wednesday, and depending on where we are, if we're in Oklahoma, like I'm not. If we like this is a best case scenario, I'll win a race on Sunday. That's in it's getting dark at seven thirty in September. I mean, yeah, in September, and you're gonna turn around and drive ten hours after you've raced all day. Probably not the best case scenario. So we wake up Monday morning and haul ass home and missed a lot back then. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't. Yes, I missed a lot, but I did a lot back then, and I'm, things that I'm very proud of. Yeah, very cool story. Now you, some of those awards we. We can kind of talk about that a little bit because if you're any kind of familiar with racing, you know that the Wally is a pretty big deal. Uh, it's not just a trophy that people are going to just get rid of or just give away at any little. Oh, I thought it was a movie about a little robot. <laughs> that's a different, that's a different, different trophy. Wally. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, that's but, how much I know about Wally. Yeah. But, uh, so tell us a little bit about the significance of that, Wally. And and before you do, I see you just pulled out a beer. Corey, why don't you just reach in the fridge and grab us another beer, too? Because uh, obviously we're sipping on a little sum-sum. I put a little Houston Haze up in there, that purple can. There you go, bro. And while Val starts to tell us a little bit about the Wally, we can set us up with a little beers. So it's to my understanding that Wally Parks was the gentleman that, it, that originated the NHRA. So, uh, upon his passing, okay, now that you say that, I know the name that makes sense to you now, not that 
the little robot with tracks. Yeah. No, but a little I, bit different. The, the name Wally Parks. Yeah, I've Wally heard. Parks originated the the whole thing, and that's what they modeled the trophy off of. Actually, the trophy is him standing on a pedestal with his hand on top of a racing tire, and that's that's it's. I guess it, the, the significance makes it really cool because he's the one that started it all, and to have a trophy that has him and everything else. Because I mean, yeah, I'm assuming since we're talking about this, you have one of those. How many do you have, Val? Last time we talked about this, I want to say fourteen. Yeah, so that's what I was. That's what I was trying to get at. He so, hasn't just won one. He's yeah. he's had a little bit of success. And I, I, look again, I'll say it's it's okay to to do a little humble brag. We're telling a story so, here. We're not saying, hey guys, look at me. I'm just no. like you know, I've got a truck that goes zero to sixty in about eleven seconds. <laughs> um, I I just know I I love I love cars. I love fast cars. I, I will at some point have a production sports car because I like going fast. I don't know how you drive around in that 2500 and that Nissan without <laughs> having like a daily driver in the garage. Is you going to pop out a Porsche or something like that that goes fast? Yeah, I, I still have it, but there's not. I got a heavy foot. Well, no, and I and I get that. So. For me, I guess the best way to explain it is I've watched too many people wreck. Drag racing, I, it it starts making my face turn red because I watch people die. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to know that you're in a safe, controlled environment with a roll cage around you, helmet, you got a Hans device on that keeps your helmet from going mm-hmm. so far to keep from hurting your neck. You got a fire suit on, you got fire shoes on, you got everything as good as it can be. There are walls on both sides of you, sides of you, which is not impossible to T-bone, but normally you would bump the wall rather than cleaning it up. To watch that and then watch people, and I, I'm getting old, Corey. So what you're saying is that when Lonnie floors it on Willowdale Boulevard in his Dodge Challenger mm-hmm. wide body RT, right? He's risking it, yeah. And we all know that, you know what I'm saying? But when you're in the car, you're fired up and things are great. And that's what you bought it for. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't want to downplay anybody that has a badass car on the street right. and go do it. But I mean, legitimately, we were in Atlanta one year and I watched a guy in a top sportsman car that got lost from where he was and backpedaled it and let out of it. And his car turned sideways and the other car drove straight through his door and killed it. Mm. And I just feel like, and that's what both cars go in the same direction. Can you imagine being yeah. on the highway and turning it sideways and the car hits you going the, other, the opposite direction. Yeah. That's yeah. the, I don't, that's the. And I don't want to make it sound like I, I, like the wind's out of my sails with this shit because I still love it to death. I just, it's a different scenario. And I, yeah. when I was a kid, yeah, everybody's Mustang, let me drive that bitch. I'm gone. Yeah, right, I'm right, gone. Right, right. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get every gear I can. I'm going to burn all the rubber off this thing. But I just. Hey, that's I had just, a 1.4 cylinder Nissan Pulsar NX that did zero <laughs> to 60 in about 14 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> On Willowdale right. Boulevard from beginning to end, I couldn't get it up but past 100. So anyway, we kind of got a little sidetracked again. So I'm back sorry. to the Wallys. So you you don't just have one Wally. No, there's so there's a combination of different Wallys. They uh, if you win a national event like the one I was proud of, I told you about in Chicago, is is the full size like the pros get. That's for me. I don't have any because my parents won't let me have them. No. They kept them all. So I think I have. Well, that's because they they forking out all the money. No, I, did, did it sound like I was complaining? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to sound like I was complaining. Hey, look, all you got to do is just take your friends. Hey, let's go over to my mom and hey, dad's house. On. I want to show you something. Look at this. Yeah. Hey. But uh, I think I have three of the big ones. Two of them were actually in. I have four of them. Two of them I won in one year on the same trip. We went to Chicago. No, it was just really close. It wasn't the same trip. We went to Chicago and won. We left from there, came to, to Tulsa. 
And then we left from Tulsa, came home, and in the two weekends after that, we went to Dallas and won another. So that was my best year by far. And I want to say that's the same year that we won in Super Street. We won the whole division. So that was like that's when you should have just checked the box and said, all right, well, this is as good as it gets. We out. Yeah, you know right. I mean? <laughs> but that was uh, that was my best. I, I, I can't say that I, I did it all on my own. I had a bunch of people that were really close to me. I had a, uh, a guy that I raced with way at the beginning that bracket race next to me that when we started doing it he got an opportunity he was very good he was better than i was at bracket racing and he had a, a, the guys were sponsored by Mosier, Mosier axles i'm sure i don't know if y'all are familiar with anyway no, really. it's an aftermarket axle company and they do transmissions and they do whole rear ends and they're they're a big company they are uh, locally sponsored by him and they reached out to him and said man we want you to come drive this car for us we watch you race we watch you do this we want you to come drive a stock car well like i told you earlier most of the time just bracket racing you're amazing at it. We'll take you with us. You come ride with us. A food, feed, food, fuel, the right. whole deal. Just come come drive. And him and I kind of started around the same time. We started doing our own thing, and he did. And he started connecting me with these people on this level. And they just kind of took me under their wing. They're like, look, man, I don't, what are you doing? No, 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 no. Come over here. This is this. Let me show you this. And they would lay it out for you. And you're like, okay, all this makes more sense. And they were a huge help to me. They were – that's – Having people like that to show you the ropes, like I said, the first year we raced, we didn't even know what we were doing, even though there were points involved. I was just just driving the car to drive the car. We just, all right, good weekend. We didn't win, but we'll see you next weekend or whenever it was again. So having that help of people that were really good at it is definitely helpful. Yeah, and most successful people uh, have had a bit of a team surrounded around them in one way, shape, or form anyway in order for them to be successful. So whenever you're doing, you know, when you're race, racing cars – you have to have a team behind you because you you need a tuner. You need somebody to show you the ropes whenever you're new. Uh, obviously, things break and you got to fix the cars. So I don't know if you guys had done all the mechanic work on that, if y'all had yes. a mechanic. But Well, you, what I comes mean, to my mind is the picture that I remember on Facebook is you standing by a car and there's like 10 other people. Well, I can get, well a lot of times when the winning picture is that group of 10 people that you see are the people that I'm talking about. Yeah. They are the people that were oh, moral support, advice, help bart bart's been around since the very beginning he's the one that told you they found me at walmart mm-hmm. that day he ended up for whatever reason coming back and working for us and he can when my dad said you in the trailer you coming with us, or in the camper you coming with us because he, he the dude's got racing in his brain the man can set timing or set a rochester carburetor by ear he doesn't need any equipment no vacuum gauges no timing nothing he can do it all by ear. i've never seen somebody like him he's been doing it well since he's probably in the teens He's, and he's still got some of his cars. Oh, yeah. The man is just, he, he just has an ear and a mind for the shit. And as soon as he came with us, he, he like I said, mechanic side, I always had Bart. Bart was well capable of more than what I needed. And like I said, the advice thing on strategizing and making yourself a better racer was, was, yeah, was sure. I mean, look, so, so that group of 10 people, you say, well, some of them for moral support. That's all part of it. Most certainly. You need all of that, right? Yeah. Was the hungry, the big hungry ex-girlfriend that likes Taco Bell that was sitting in the back of your car to make it go slower? Was she in that picture? Or was that uh, different? Uh, that we don't know. No, not that one. Okay. I wasn't allowed to have girls in pictures back then. Has anybody time. ever asked you how big is your Wally? No. Well, I mean, as I didn't know, you you obviously said there are different sizes. <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. Hey Val, but, how big is your Wally? Yeah, about like this. You got three big ones. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you guys wound up you. You're kind of getting out of a little bit. 
And just recently, you've had some interest in some people wanting to buy your cars, mm-hmm. and now you're starting to kind of sell off those cars. That's got to be a little, it's got to be kind of uh, painful in a way, don't you think? It definitely is. Um, because you've got, you've built up this whole thing. There's lots of memories that go along with it. Uh, you've, you've been very successful. You guys haven't been racing a lot, so now the cars are kind of being like little dust collectors. So, at, right. Is there a certain point where you and your dad talked and said, Let's put this out on the market, or did people reach out to y'all? Like, how's that work? So, um, originally, when I told him we needed to take a break with the kids and soccer and everything else was going on, I said, "Let's let's give it a break." I said, "Allie's really into soccer. Audrey was in a gym gymnastics gymnastic at that point." I said, "It's hard for me to leave all the time," and uh, he kind of called me. He said, "Look, man, the market is ridiculous. Like everything else at that point, the used cars, everything was ridiculous." He said, "Man, we can get more than what we pay for the motorhome and a trailer." He said, when you want to go racing again, let me know. We'll go buy another one. But right now, the market's going to change at some point. So he sold the motorhome and the trailer in a day for more than what he paid for it. So we drove it around. He put tires on it and put fuel in it, and he got more than his money back. Nice. So then at that point, he's like, he said those cars, the race cars, the valve spring pressure in a race car is absolutely ridiculous. So if you don't crank it up weekly or at least monthly, you, you, you got parts over there just going to shit. So he told me, he said, you've been cranking up the super gas car? I said, yeah, about once a month. He goes, put it for sale. I said, you sure? He said, yeah, put it for sale. I said, okay. Posted it. Took about a month. Guy came in and bought it from Illinois. And then the other superstar car, the wild one, had a guy that I'm friends with out of Dallas. He called me. He's like, man, I got to have that thing. You selling it? I was like, well, I didn't even post it yet. But yeah, if you want it, this is what I want for it. He said, I'm coming. Nice. He showed up and... Rolled out and he ended up buying my golf cart too. The last golf cart you saw oh, yeah, for Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me, he's like, hey man, you still got the black golf cart? I said, yeah. He said, what you need for it? I, said, I called dad. I said, six? I said, you pay eight for it. I was about 10 years old. He said, I'll take six. He told him that. He said, yep, done. Wrote a check. Give me a big wad of cash. Gone. So all the cars that we want to sell are gone. The Chevy 2, the one I told you I jail with. My Your mom, baby. My mama would shoot me in the face if I yeah. saw that car. That thing would be, uh, I, I guess I need to buy a bubble for it. I don't know what I, to do with you it. You should. I mean, you know, because uh, like you said, at some point, you can get back into it at some point. Yeah, definitely. That's your baby. You're, it's going to be like riding a bike and get back in that car. Yeah. She's going to need a little technology update at yeah. that point. But yeah. Change some parts, yeah. you know, update and yeah. roll with it. Matter of yeah. fact, I need to crank that car up now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Go ahead and crank that thing up. But, you know, <laughs> now Val's latest obsession is... Drinking beer with us and, and playing, playing golf, golf every Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's what are actually we doing Friday, boys. <laughs> playing golf, you already know. But look, that one's a lot easier to maintain when you got family around because typically we play, we're off on Fridays. We play Friday morning. The kids aren't even at home, they're at school. So it works out perfect. But anyway, Val, I appreciate you coming on, telling us a little bit about your story. It's always real cool to hear other people's views in the world and other experiences. Very interesting. I always wondered. Well, I apologize for all the tangents. No, that's okay. That's exactly (laughs) what we like on this. It's with storytelling. Want to hear the whole thing. So no big deal. But look, until next time, man, we go play a little bit more golf and hang out again. Say hi to your mom and then put me.